This morning as we look in Luke chapter 2, we see a very familiar story. Many of us have heard it over and over and over and over again. And I'm willing to bet that many of you could probably recite, if not all, portions of the scripture that I read this morning. And we come to the fourth Sunday of Advent and we look at joy. Now, we looked at peace, we've looked at hope, we've looked at love, and now we come to joy. And what does it mean for us to have joy? And what, what is the implications of the joy that comes in a manger so long ago? And uh, I'm going to be uh, pretty brief this morning because this is what I know. There are many of us who have confused and who continue to confuse happiness versus joy. So many of you will enter Christmas morning and so many of us will enter Christmas morning and Santa Claus will have visited or there will be presents under the tree and you will experience for all practical purposes what it means to be happy. For those brief moments as you unwrap the package, for those brief moments when you are anticipating the surprise, For those brief moments that you're watching your loved ones open those packages that you have bought and that you have wrapped and you've anticipated their response, you will experience on Christmas morning happiness. But there is a difference in happiness and joy. Happiness, on one hand, is something that is temporal. Happiness is something that we can experience, but it passes away. Rather, joy is contentment. Joy is a part of character that means that no matter what happens, no matter what experience, whether you have all the presents that you wanted under the tree, or whether you don't get anything that Santa Claus that you asked from Santa Claus, or whether you don't get anything that you had hoped and longed for, you will still be content. Why? Because your joy has been made complete through Christ. The hope of the church, the hope of God, the hope of Christ is that you would experience his joy. The joy that's written about in Luke chapter 2. And in verse 10 of Luke chapter 2, the Bible says that the joy of Christmas or this joy, this good news... I bring you good news that will cause great joy. And the emphasis here is for all the people. Joy, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the good news that's being proclaimed by the angel. That good news is for everybody. Everybody. Including those who will never trust in Christ as Savior. Including those who do not celebrate Christmas. Including those who are angry at God in this very moment. The joy of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, is for all people. Even for those who will eventually go to hell. Now how can I say that? I can say that because scripture says it, that the joy of Christ, the joy of his birth, the joy and the news of the gospel is for everyone. And that's comforting because then you and I don't get to decide who's in and who's out. And we're pretty good at doing that. We're very good at deciding who's on our team and who's not. Who's in our fold and who's not. Which sheep are we going to allow to graze in our pasture and which sheep are we going to kick 
to the other realm. We're very good at that. It's kind of a, what I call a Christian pecking order. Now, when I say that, it's not that we set out to do that. We don't set out to be exclusive to people. We don't set out to push people away. But we do it when you and I have not experienced the joy of Christ. And when you and I do things which run counter to what Scripture teaches. And this is how, this is how we know that it happens. Have you ever run into anybody that says, I would go to church, but the church is full of... Wow, we know that, don't we? We've heard that before. I would go to church if it weren't for the hypocrites. Let me tell you what you need to do the next time someone says that. You need to say, you are absolutely right. We are hypocrites. And you know what? It'll change the tone of the conversation. Because you have just let air out of their balloon. You have just destroyed their credo, so to speak, of the reason why they don't come. Listen, the church is for hypocrites. The church is for you and me. How can I say that? Because the good news of Jesus Christ is for all people, including hypocrites like me and you and every other Tom, Dick, and Harry, and Sally, and Sue in the world. Now, if you happen to be Tom, Dick, or Harry, Sally, or Sue, I'm not pointing you out this morning. I'm just saying. The good news of Jesus Christ, the joy, is for all people. But do we live that out? Do we live that belief out in our social behavior? Do we, are we inclusive of all people? Or are there some that we welcome and others, eh, we don't want, we don't want any of that. As I've said before, it's interesting. We don't want any of that as long as that doesn't creep at our doorstep. But as soon as it encounters our family, or as soon as it encounters our friends, suddenly, oh, we need to make an exception for this. Because now, now, this hypocrisy has now come to our, our doorstep. And we need to kind of change our rules. We need to kind of change the way we respond. We need to change about what we're doing. No, the Bible is very, very clear. The good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone. The church does not have a monopoly on whom it deems as worthy or unworthy. We don't get to decide that. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That God's standard is inclusive of everybody. Now, when I say inclusive, uh, don't run with that because I'm not saying that everybody's going to end up being okay. Wouldn't that be great if there were no standards? Would it really be that great? If you really think about it, that there were no standards to measure ourselves by when it comes to God's word. Oftentimes I've heard, I just wish that God would just include everybody. I just wish everybody would be saved. I just wish that God would just love everybody equally. He does. He does. He loves everybody equally. He did. He's not going to love you any more or any less based on what you do or what you don't do. Based on how holy you are or how unholy you are. Based on how godly you are or how ungodly you are. He loves you the same as he's always loved you. He has called you the same as he's always called you. He wants to save you just like he's always wanted to save you. You will never do anything. He is not like a judge sitting that you're trying to impress. He is the God who's come in the form of an innocent baby, a poor baby, a forgotten child in the midst of the hustle and bustle of, of the census being taken in a forgotten fold in the middle of a pasture out in a remote part outside the city of Bethlehem. This Jesus that was born in a manger on such a solemn night and a peaceful night would end up turning the world upside down. That's the beauty 
of the story that you and I can come from nothing and be great in the eyes of God. Jesus came so unexpectedly. He did not come the way they anticipated. And here's the truth for us today. Jesus rarely shows up in the ways that we anticipate him to. Now we pray, God, would you do this? Would you move in this way? And we expect God to do great things. And we expect God to show up in certain types of ways as as if God is the wizard behind the curtain like in the Wizard of Oz. But he's so much broader than that. God's way is the best way because God's way is inclusive and has a chance for all people to be reconciled to him. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've said, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've experienced, no matter what hell that we've been through, God's way is perfect because God invites everyone at the table. God's purpose and God's gospel is for the entire world. Joy is for all people. And then if you look in verse 12 of the passage... As the wise men are told, or actually not as the wise men, but the shepherds are told, you know, you will find the babe. This will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. What does finding him imply? It means that they went on a search for this child that would change the world. Let me just simply ask you this question. Have you found him? Have you found Jesus Christ? Have you found him? I'm not asking you, have you hung the mistletoe? I'm not asking you if you put up a beautiful front gate Christmas tree. I'm not asking you if you've got all the candles in their their order. I'm not asking you if your shopping's done. I'm not asking you if all your packages have beautiful bows that you slaved over for hours. I'm asking you, have you found Jesus Christ? Because all of that other stuff which seems so monumentally important on Christmas Day and in this season in which we are entertaining and this season in which we're inviting people over, all that stuff pales in comparison to the baby that was born in a manger. Have you, have you found Jesus? And then verse 12 also, as I said, that founding or finding Jesus implies that you and I are seeking him. Are we seeking him? Are we pursuing him? Are we going after him? Are we pursuing the things that we believe that he would be a part? If the good news of Jesus Christ is for all people, are we pursuing those people for his sake? Are we committed to taking the gospel to all people? That's the reason we do Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So that the money's given can go throughout the entire world that you and I don't have the opportunity to visit and share the gospel so that it can put people on the field to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ, which is for all people. You see, when you and I seek Jesus, anyone who seeks Christ will ultimately find him. So as we look over the four Sundays of Advent thus far, many of you in your own journey of life have been hoping for something miraculous to happen. 
You've been hoping for some aspect of your life to be fixed. You've been hoping that some sort of broken relationship could be mended. Others of you and others of us have been trying to find peace wherever it can show up. A peace that we get comfort of this heart that's in anxiety and in fear and that's wilting. We've been seeking to find some emotional help to our greatest spiritual need. And all wrapped up in that is a desire and a want to be loved. To be loved by God who looks on us with eyes of a father into a child that says, I believe in you. I'm not giving up on you. My message of hope, my message of salvation, my message of love, my message of peace, my message of joy, it's for you. And I don't think it's beyond the scope of reality, nor is it beyond the scope of Scripture to say this. That if you were the only person ever born, God would have still sent his son for you. That's how much God loves you. That he would give his son for you. Think about that. How many of you would be willing to sacrifice your child for someone you don't know? No, I'm going to pass on that one. Not willing to do that. But God who is rich in mercy... And who is filled with grace. Looks down on us as little sinners. And gives us opportunity. When opportunity did not exist. This God of the universe who breathed life. Who spoke things into existence. Sent his one and only son. In a feeding trough. So that we might be spiritually fed. For eternity. You see, if you just look at Luke chapter 2, it's a cute little story of Mary and Joseph. And she's in blue. She's got a little bonnet on. Of course, it's a biblical time bonnet. It's not a little house on the prairie bonnet. And then you've got Joseph, and he's in those, those off-white robes with kind of that rust color sash. And then you've got the shepherds. And they stink, as we've talked about before. And they look very unkempt and untidy. And they've got that cute, cute little rod with a little crook in it. And they, they've been tending sheep. And they, and they show up. And then you have the kings. And everything's politically correct. Because you have an African-American king. And you have an Asian king. And you have a Caucasian king or something. Kind of the mixture. And they all come bestowing these gifts. Isn't it, ma- isn't it amazing how they got all that in the story? Even though... That's not the way it happened. The kings probably came two, two and a half years later. The wise men, so to speak. But it, it, it's a cute little manger scene that we can put out at Christmas. And we can see kind of their faces. And Thomas Kincaid does a wonderful job at those light expressions and whatnot. And we get really googly-eyed over it. But you see, the story, as good as it is... As warm and fuzzy as it feels, it does nothing for us until we understand that this baby that's born in the trough is the same one who will eventually, 33 years later, go to a cross. This love that was born in a manger is the same man 
that would die. We sing away in a manger, no crib for a bed. A-W-A-Y. And I want to tell you that I would change the lyrics of that song. Instead of away, I would say a way in the manger. He is, Jesus is, based on John 14, 6, he is the way, the truth, and the life. A way in a manger was born in Christ. That way is the essential truth, is the foundation, is the pillar of our human experience. And it all begins long before the manger. And it ends in the cross event. And it ends when Jesus says, it is finished. And while it is finished, he's not finished with reconciling humanity to the cross. He's not finished with us because he is desiring and his desire is that we would seek him, that we would find him, that if we're looking for hope, if we're trying to find peace, if we're wanting to be loved, if we're wanting to experience joy, that it begins and ends in the person of Jesus. That is the message of Christmas. That is the hope of the world. I was talking with someone this week and they said to me, it just bothers me when I look at the miracles of the New Testament. How in the world can you still kind of believe in the resurrection? And I said... The resurrection as a miracle is much easier to comprehend for me than many of the other miracles of the Bible because it's verified outside of the Scripture by other writers. But here's the other thing, ladies and gentlemen. If you're one of these people that's kind of a skeptic, as I was sharing with someone this week and also this morning, many people will die for a cause that they believe in. For instance, those men who flew planes into the World Trade Center on September 11th, they believed in what they were doing to the point that they were willing to give their lives for a cause. There's many people, there's, there's some people that will give their lives for a cause that they believe in. No one is going to sacrifice their life for a cause that they know is a lie. And so those early disciples and apostles, there's kind of this theory that the resurrection didn't happen and perhaps that Jesus' body was stolen. That this story of Luke 2, it really didn't happen like that. And all I want to say is it would take far more faith to me to believe that they pulled off this scheme than the reality of the miracle that's set forth in Scripture because of those early disciples, those early followers of Jesus, they did not retire in Maui eating coconuts and pina coladas. They died martyrs' deaths. That means that they died because of their belief and their trust and their confidence and their unwillingness to admit that it was a farce. And so they met the sword. Or they were beaten or they were flogged or whatnot. Even after the disciples encountered Jesus and after Jesus encountered them, they continually sought him and they were committed to making him known. The joy is for all people. And I just simply close with those two questions. Have you found him and are you seeking him? May we pray together.
Lord, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us, a time to come and reflect on the message and hope of Jesus Christ, born in a manger, destined and purposed for the cross, who overcame death through the power of resurrection and now sits at the right hand of God through the work of the Holy Spirit, invites us into his presence, invites us to be a part of his great plan, of his great story. And just as shepherds and others' lives were transformed on that night when they looked up and saw the shining light of God in the sky, we pray, Lord, that the shining light of Jesus Christ would take residence in our hearts, our minds, and that we might have the hope, that we might have the peace, that we might have the love and that we might have the joy that we've thought about, that we've yearned for. God, in the stillness of this week, in the fun of this week, in the nostalgia of this week, may we spend time in reflection of the love that was born, of the sacrifice that was given, and the hope that has come. A hope to save all people. A hope to influence all people in all times and in all places. A hope that's open to all. An invitation that's open to all. No one is excluded from the possibility. Everyone is invited to the kingdom. Everybody is invited to the banquet. Which ones of us will choose to come and dine with the king? Which ones of us will choose to follow Jesus? Which ones of us will choose to seek him? Which ones of us will purpose Christ in our lives? And God, that we might be mightily transformed. That we might be different. That Christmas might take on a different nuance, a different expression, a different experience than what we've hoped and longed and experienced before, that we would see Christ in new fashion, not just a cute little baby born so long ago, but a risen, a risen Savior who desires to be Lord over our lives, who asks us to come just as we are, whose arms are opened whose invitation is for the murderer, for the abuser, for the adulterer, for the hypocrite, for the holy, for the ungodly, for the godly, for the deacon, for the teacher, for the pastor, for the preacher, for the youth, for the music, for the choir leader, for the Sunday school, for the schoolmate, for the lost, for the saved, for the broken, for the mended. For the hurting, for the dying, for the living, for those who are hopeless. The invitation is for all of us to experience his advent. Because only he can change our lives. Only he can change our story. Only he has the power to save. Only he can give life. So wherever we are, broken in our relationships, on a verge of divorce, whatever it might be, the God of the universe who knows us better than we know ourselves says, be at rest, child of God. Be at rest. I'm with you. 
I'm with you for the entire journey. I'm not going to go away. I'm going to be right here when everyone else fails you, when everybody else wants to move away from you, when everybody else thinks you stink. I still believe in you because it is for you that I sent my son. It is for you that I have given love. It is for you that I have brought hope. It is for you that I've displayed the glory of the universe so that you might come to know my son Jesus and make him known, to be embraced by him and to be set free from the chains that so, so easily tie us down. Ladies and gentlemen, if this is your hope this morning, if your desire is to have a different sort of Christmas, to experience something radically different than what you thought you ever could, this is the invitation this morning. As God leads, as God guides, as God directs, as He speaks, may we respond at this altar this altar of prayer, this altar of sacrifice, this altar where God wants to do His business in your life, in my life, as we seek Him, as we pursue Him, as we find Him, and as He finds us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need to make a decision, our God has spoken to you in our time of worship. This altar is open for you to come and to pray. I'm here for you if you want me to pray for you or you have specific something that you want prayed for. We invite you to come as we are a family. First Baptist Church is not a place. It's a people. And we welcome you to the people of First Baptist who, yes, we're all hypocrites. All hypocrites, many of us saved by the tremendous grace of God. But in this invitation... We put aside our hypocrisy and we put forth our authenticity and we say, shouting without a shadow of a doubt, that we need Jesus now more than ever. We need Jesus Christ. We need Him to be more than something we hang on a Christmas tree. We need, to be, we need Him to be more than what we've seen in greeting cards that we've received or greeting cards that we've pushed out. We need the real Jesus to show up, and He's here. Won't you come? Won't you meet Him where you are? Let Him meet you where you are and experience the joy, the hope, the love, and the peace that can be yours in Him alone as we stand and sing. Won't you come?